You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Studio 89.7. This talk program focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. And now, here's your host, Philadelphia radio veteran, Paul Perello. Well, it's that time of year, and uh, regardless where you go or what you're doing, if you're caught up in the hustle and bustle of the uh, Christmas season, there are those sights and sounds that we pretty much associate with the holiday season. And, of course, the names that also we associate with the holiday season. And I am so happy and thrilled to uh, invite my next guest into the studio here to talk a little bit about not only his name, his family, but even the great work that he's doing performing at a number of venues throughout the Philadelphia area, but not only the Philadelphia Philadelphia area, but around the world, I should mention. Gerald Dickens joins us here. Uh, Gerald is the great, great grandson of the one and only Charles Dickens. <laughs> Welcome to our program. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be here. So Wonderful. What, what's it like to go around with the name <sighs> Dickens? I mean, do people think, are you related to Charles Dickens, or do they just assume that it's like anybody else's name? Well... I mean, I'm fortunate because my middle name is Charles. So if if people see that on a passport or anything, you know, um, it's amazing because even now, uh, over 200 years after he was born, there is still so much popularity in his works and people just adore what he he wrote so much that as soon as people find out, they just want to talk to you about it. And that is just so exciting. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's a a rich family history. I mean, I I mentioned before our interview that I happened to meet an uncle of yours. Was Mm. Cedric was your uncle? Well, we always called him uncle. He was my father's cousin, whatever that makes him. But yeah. yeah. He was here in Philadelphia a number of years ago when they opened the Christmas Carol exhibit at one of the department stores downtown. Uh, What a charming gentleman to come to Philadelphia and talk to us about a Christmas Carol, not only the display, but the tremendous work of Charles Dickens. And now to have the great, great grandson of Charles Dickens in the studio really is a thrill for me. Well, you know, the, the family are so proud of, of what Charles Dickens represents. It, it really is a, a pleasure for us to, to, to be able to travel. And, and it, it carries on down through the generations. As you said, Cedric traveled for many, many years and loved Philadelphia. He came here often. Mm-hmm. I was talking to someone a few days ago about Cedric, and uh, the gentleman asked me, are you related to Sir Cedric? And I said, well, he, he was never knighted. He was never a sir. And he said, oh, I'm sure he was. He always said Sir Cedric. And what Cedric used to do, he used to stutter when he told people his name. He said, my name's Cedric. <laughs> and, and everyone was convinced he was a knighted lord of the realm. You know? <laughs> For sure. Well, you have quite the career yourself in that uh, not only are you here in Philadelphia to talk about your great-great-grandfather and you know his classic works, and most notably this time of year, a Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. but you yourself are an actor, mm-hmm. you're an author, you're an entertainer, a speaker. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on and on. <laughs> um, you are actually performing uh, in the Philadelphia area, even as we speak this weekend. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I've been performing a one-man version of A Christmas Carol for 21 years now. Wow. 
um, touring America since 1995. And um, for a long time, I've been involved with the, the Buyer's Choice Company based up in Chalfont in Bucks County and perform at their headquarters. And they put together a whole tour around the, the entire United States um, performing a one-man version of A Christmas Carol. And, and it's just... Yeah, the, the best thing I could have ever have dreamt of doing as a, as a kid starting out on the stage. If anyone had told me I'd be doing this, uh, I, I could never have believed them. It's wonderful. So, um, I mean, so what comes first, the, the chicken or the egg? You know, <laughs> you, you grow up knowing you have this lineage connected to Charles Dickens, or you just decide you're going to become an actor and then you fall into this Christmas um, Carol. Well, a bit of both, really. Um, I, I was always aware of, of the, the the lineage. My father was a great. Dickens scholar and wrote articles and um, gave speeches. So the house was always filled with uh, Dickens biographies and all sorts of books and things. So it was always there. But to be honest, as a kid at school, I hated Dickens. I couldn't abide it. We had to study Oliver Twist at school and I just never got to the end of it. I, I uh, didn't do anything for me. But from the age of nine, after being cast in a school nativity play, stage was it. That's what I was always going to do. I just loved theatre. I loved performing. So the the, the, the Dickens relationship and my love of the stage both existed at the same, t the same time but were completely separate I never thought of, of bringing the two together and it was in it was not until 1993 which was the 150th anniversary of A Christmas Carol first being published that somebody came to me with the idea mm. of recreating one of the dramatic readings that Charles Dickens used to travel the world and give himself of A Christmas Carol to commemorate that anniversary wow. and that's when it started so when you were growing up and you were in school and you had to read Oliver Twist, <laughs> didn't you ever ask the teacher for a pass saying, hey, this is my great-great-grandfather. Can, can I get away with not having to labor through this? Well, you know, I, I didn't actually ask for it, but maybe that's what happened because I certainly didn't work, but I did. I did. <laughs> I, I passed the exam, so something must have gone right. <laughs> for sure. Everybody knows Charles Dickens and they know A Christmas Carol and, and they, they always associate one with the other. And of course, mm -hmm. that classic tale, A Christmas Carol, has been done over over and over and over again. There are different twists and turns and different uh, elements that are added and taken out. But, I mean, the basic tale is, is the basic tale mm -hmm. of, of one man's uh, ignorance to what is really important in life and mm -hmm. the tremendous revelation that he uh, he has by the end of this Absolutely. Christmas Eve. Absolutely. And and I, I wouldn't say it's an ignorance, actually. Um, and, and, and that's sort of quite important to, to, to why the story works for everybody. It's just he's forgotten it. Mm. It's not he didn't know it. Because he, he was a good, good man at the beginning when he was growing up, and then then got involved in in all of the business and and the money making, and little by little that side of him got forgotten. Hmm. And what happens within the story is he's reminded, he's he's reawoken to that, mm -hmm. and and I think it's that little subtlety that makes a Christmas Carol work for everyone now, hmm. because we can all think, ah, you're right, you know, I have been. I've neglected my friends. I've neglected a family. I, I must do that because I, I know that's how he should be behaving. And it, it's it's a beautiful story. And as you say, so many different versions of it sure. have been made. And they're all different. And some are updated and some are modern and some are crazy and some have puppets. and so you know. That, but the story always works. Whatever you do to it, the story always works because it's such a perfect little story. So when you go out and you do this one-man show the one-man version of a christmas carol it's got to be a little 
crazy because you're <laughs> because you know it, it's not you know it's it's the story of one man, but there are all these characters yeah, yeah. that are in in his story in his dream of that night on that yeah. Christmas Eve way 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 long ago. Well, I'm helped a great deal by by the fact that pretty well everybody that comes to see it knows the story well. Sure. So I haven't got to worry about storytelling. I haven't got to worry about if the audience really understand this is a vision of the past or the future or whatever it is. People know that. Mm -hmm. And Dickens has given me such great characters that they're very easy to differentiate between mm -hmm. as, as a performer. The description of Scrooge, the first description of Scrooge, he was a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. By the time you're at the end of the sentence, you become him. You can't help it. <laughs> yeah. It just happens. Um, and, and that was one of Dickens's great um, abilities, was to capture human character in, in just one sentence. Mm. So all these characters bounce around. In, I think there are 26 of them in, in my show. But they're all very distinct. They're all very clear. They're all very recognizable with different voices and different ways of standing and expressions and moving and all, all this sort of thing. And they just carry the story on through. What is remarkable is that you're on a pretty extensive uh, tour, mm -hmm. and you know at this time of year, you know you talk about the hustle and bustle of everybody out there, Christmas shopping, and maybe the message and the meaning of Christmas gets lost in that hustle and bustle. Here you are um, spending the days leading up to Christmas here in the United States. Mm -hmm. Do you actually get a chance then to go home yeah, to England be, home for, for Christmas? Christmas? Actually, I, I leave the United States on the 13th of December this year. I have a week performing back at home, including three days performing in one of the venues where Dickens himself used to perform wow. in, in Liverpool um, back in England. So that's going to be exciting. And then my final show is on the 23rd of December, home for Christmas. And uh, yeah, I can only imagine what it must be like for you to have this link to Charles Dickens because he was a remarkable individual. As I said a moment ago, we always associate him with A Christmas Carol, but he wrote many oh. other Boy. Great literary work. He, he was an extraordinary writer, prolific. Um, 15 full-length novels, which he wrote in monthly installments. Uh, three chapters were published every month, and typically his books would go on for 20 months. Mm. So he, he was sometimes writing two or three separate books at the same time, beginning mm. one, finishing another, sort of halfway Unbelievable. And above that, there were countless short stories. He traveled a lot, wrote um, detailed accounts of his travels. He was always writing letters and articles, um, trying to, to solve the issues of, of, of society in Britain that, 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 you know, particularly highlighting cases of poverty and, and um, the gap between wealth and, and the poor. He never stopped. He was a man of immense energy. Incredible. Mm. When you realize that you know you have this connection to, to Charles Dickens, I think just like anybody who wants to research their family mm -hmm. and you go back and you start to read about your ancestors, mm -hmm. was there anything that you found out about Charles Dickens, anything that you discovered that was that aha moment where you said, gee, you know, everything that I have either read or heard about my great-great-grandfather, I, I never knew this. It was the same reason... The same same feeling I had when I got cast in the nativity play when I was nine. It was the theater. It was stage. Dickens loved theater. And as soon as I discovered that, it all made sense. Hmm. So struggling through Oliver Twist at school was completely forgotten because I, I was now reading a theater man writing theatrical books. Sure. And I could see that and I could understand it. And that comes very much through in my performances as well that it's very easy to bring to stage to um, 
to 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 adapt and um, make a stage performance because it's written for theatre, hmm. and he wanted to be an actor. That was his great ambition. Really? Writing came later and almost accidentally. Theatre was what he wanted to do with his life. Wow. So it was that connection that really the light bulb went. And uh, so I guess he would be genuinely pleased with most of the productions of. Not only A Christmas Carol, but some of his other works that have been brought to the stage and to the movies. I, I say that because if he was an actor at heart and much of what he was writing, he, he, he probably would have envisioned if he were alive at this time to see yeah. these productions today. He would generally be happy with I think he really would. Um I, I, I say he was a theater man. He was a communicator. That, that That's really what he wanted to do. And and. To, to, to get his message out to as many people as possible in whatever um, medium was available to him. So to see the modern medium of, of movie and, and now internet and blogging and all yeah. the rest of it, keeping his words alive, keeping his characters alive, keeping his messages alive, his social messages, um, he would be absolutely delighted, I'm sure. He would even be happy with a Muppet Christmas Carol? He would love a Muppet Christmas Carol. That's my favorite. I adore <laughs> the Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, it just makes me laugh every time I watch it. I adore the Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking with uh, Gerald Dickens, uh, the great-great-grandson of Charles Dickens. He has quite the extensive uh, performance uh, schedule right here in the greater Philadelphia area. He's going to be up at uh, Buyer's Choice over the course of the the next uh, few days performing his one-man version of A Christmas Carol. And I can't think, first of all, they do tremendous work at uh, Buyer's Choice with these these Christmas figures that have been, I don't know, it's been years and years and years and years that they have been doing these uh, these figures. And every year they come out with a different figure. And when you think of those things that uh, really mean Christmas or we associate with Christmas, you can go into any department store or even go into their website. You could go into Buyer's Choice up there and Chalfont and see these figures and nothing strikes a more positive reaction to Christmas than seeing these tremendous handcrafted figures mm. which is truly remarkable in this day and age where most of the production is not done in your backyard they're no. done in some third world country yeah. around the world it's very special and when I perform it at buyers, they they clear the factory floor. So the flat the, the the floor where during the week the figurines are being made and dressed and painted and created and, and brought to life, that is all cleared and a theatre is put up, and and we do the shows there. And and what Bob Byers always says is it's it's like Fezziwig's warehouse <laughs> that, that, that come Christmas work ceases and and it turns into a a, a joyous place and it kind of sums up the 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 ethic of of buyer's choice it's lovely to be there absolutely how did how did they i mean did you reach out to them did they reach out to you it seems like a logical fit if you will i was performing and and i still perform at hershey okay um and but buyer's choice came to hershey to watch me perform they'd obviously heard about the shows and uh, reached out the following year and said we would love you to come and be part of our Christmas tradition mm. and um, that's been happening ever since uh, that's nine or ten years ago now and wow. I've been working with them ever since and they are just such good people to, to work with and I have such fun there absolutely um, when you uh, you take to the stage and you take on this uh, this version of a Christmas Carol um, what's the what's the reaction of the audience I mean because they're familiar with all these other versions, and there have been some stage versions of A Christmas Carol. When they come and they see your interpretation of, uh, of A Christmas Carol, first of all, I can't think of a better person uh, to do A Christmas Carol than the great-great-grandson of Charles Dickens. I think the lovely thing about what I do is it is just the story. 
There's no special effects. There's no clever lighting. There's no multiple costume changes. There's no songs. There's no. It is just the words that Charles Dickens wrote. Mm. My adaptation of the script is purely taken from from the the original book. I've, I've had to edit it down to make sure. it a reasonable length, but they are all his words. So it's just like having a story told to you at the fireside on Christmas Eve. Mm. And I think people love that, 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 that there's a familiar, uh, f- familiarity of, of just hearing these words being told to you. Um, but you get very different reactions. Some but people react in very different ways. Some people love the, the, the joyousness, the humor of the story. Other people get very affected by the, the pathos and the tragedy of parts of the story. Um, that there's a family that come to watch me perform in New Hampshire every, every year I go there who lost their own son when, mm. when he was very young. And for them, they find it almost cathartic to, to, wow. to, to sort of live through it again, watching poor old Bob Cratchit and, and the loss of Tiny Tim. So everybody has a different experience on it. And that makes an amazing energy in a, in a theater. Sure. Because you've got all these hundreds of people living the story in their own way. And, and that makes, makes an energy, and, and it means the show's never the same twice. You yeah. never know what you're going to get. Yeah. How, how do United States audiences embrace your version of the show or even the story or the message of A Christmas Carol compared to people in jolly old England? <laughs> jolly old England. <laughs> now, A Christmas Carol is, is, is so much bigger in America than it is in, really? in Britain. Yeah. And that's not to say it's not popular in Britain. Right. It's immensely popular in Britain. Right. It's just immensely, immensely, immensely popular in the United States. Um, America has taken Christmas Carol as... as as part of its Christmas celebration. Sure. It's sort of really a central theme. And, you know, we'll watch the TV every night from between now and Christmas, and there will be a, a, a showing of one of the adaptations of Christmas Carol everywhere. Right. Um, and, and the audiences just come so excited to be part of the story or to watch the story, to listen to the story. And, and there's just an enthusiasm and an excitement. And Whereas in Britain, it, it's, it, it's absolutely a racial stereotype but it's very true nonetheless. In Britain, everyone's a lot more reserved. Mm. So they will come to the theatre and say, right, I've paid for my ticket, now entertain me, you. Whereas America, people will say, right, we're here for a great time, bring it on. You know, yeah. and, and it's wonderful. That's, that's, that's an interesting observation. Uh, I think, um, you know, especially in these times that we live in today, it seems to me that the, the story and the, the relevance of A Christmas Carol more important today than perhaps any time that I can remember mm-hmm. because we live in this, as I said before, this hustle and bustle generation and we're moving here, moving there, moving everywhere. And we oftentimes just take for granted those things that are right mm-hmm. in front of us until they're no longer there. And then all of a sudden we say, gee, I wish I would have had time to do this or I would have had time to be a better person or to be more charitable mm-hmm. or to be more friendly. And regardless of what interpretation or adaptation of A Christmas Carol that you're watching or dare I even say even listening to because there are radio Mm -hmm. versions of it that are out there. Um, And sometimes the radio versions are a little more compelling because it allows your imagination to run wild with what's going on. Absolutely. And and that's the point I was making about the one man show is is that there's nothing clever about it. It's just the words and, and the words are the compelling things. We're talking with uh, Gerald Dickens, the great-great-grandson of Charles Dickens. So how do you whittle down that original work of A Christmas Carol into a format that's going to work for you as the actor? Yeah, well, I I started off using the version that Dickens himself edited for his readings. Mm -hmm. That was my starting point. 
And over the years, I've, I've adapted it and put a few things in and taken a few things out and changed it around just so it works as a stage. But that was my starting point. I, I reckoned if he'd done it, it's probably pretty good. Yeah. Um, every year, I look at it again and think, oh, why do I have to leave that passage out? That's such a good scene or such a good passage. So the show has crept up in length and length and length <laughs> over the years <laughs> as I've given in and put an extra little scene in here or there somewhere. When you're busy this time of year, it's because you're performing The Christmas mm -hmm. Carol. I should also mention that there are other works that you stage, other productions that you do throughout the year. Mm -hmm. So while this is a busy time of year for you because of the season, sort of like Santa, you know, yeah, he yeah. works pretty much between, <laughs> I can't even say between Thanksgiving and Christmas because he even gets started yeah. before Thanksgiving now. But uh, um, other times of the year, you're also performing other Dickens works, right? Yeah, I have a repertoire of about 10 different shows and I, I tour a lot of theaters in uh, in Britain and go to festivals and perform on cruise ships and, and all this sort of thing. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it keeps me pretty busy all through the year, which is, is great. While you're connected to Charles Dickens and you're connected with his works, do you as an actor explore other projects outside of the, the Dickens line? <laughs> in, in theory, yes. <laughs> in, in practice, it, it's pretty well um, centered around Dickens. I, I wrote an adaptation this year of a, a show based on the works of P.G. Woodhouse, the, the, mm -hmm. the British author who wrote The Jeeves and Worcester novels um i created a show based on his his golfing stories so that's rather nice to to, to go out and start investigating a completely different author di different way of writing and and so now that's good and i'd like to do more of that too yeah again we should mention that if you want to know more about gerald dickens performances at uh, buyer's choice up at shelf Hunt, you could go to their website and you can find out more information and uh, i can't think of a better way to really celebrate the uh, the holidays than uh, come out and uh, meet gerald dickens absolutely. do you do sort of a meet and greet after the absolutely. show absolutely after the show straight out front and uh sign books post photographs talk chat it's 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 a really important part of the whole the, 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 the whole tour. I, yeah. I love meeting with the audiences and just chatting. Yeah. Uh, what's it like to be revered? Because, look, you are Charles. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to give you a big head because you're not going to fit out of the studio here. But, <laughs> you know, but I mean, you are Charles Dickens' great-great-grandson. I mean, are people a little apprehensive to approach can be, you? Can be. And, yeah. and, and sometimes just quite overawed. Yeah. Which, which, which for a, a little country boy from from little old England is, is is a strange strange thing. I've been doing it for twenty years and I'm still not used to that. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and again, it gives you an, an immense sense of pride when you realise that that people still feel that way about Charles Dickens and and still feel that passionately about him. That 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 there is a celebrity status surrounding everything to do with him. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, very fortunate to have been caught up in all of that. Is there anyone else in the Dickens family that's doing anything like this? Or? Nah, they've all got proper jobs. <laughs> You're not the black no, no. sheep of the family now, are you? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, that, 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 there are quite, that there are some other actors in the family not doing what I do. Right. Um, that I have a young uh, nephew who's... Um, very much involved in movie and TV and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, a lot of the people in the family, though, have communication jobs, people jobs, marketing, journalism, um, PR, all this sort of thing. Right. It, it, it's kind of the, the same, the, the same general um, f family 
business, if you like, just showing itself in different ways. If any you know small production company decided that, hey, we're going to stage our version mm-hmm. of A Christmas Carol, and oftentimes I, I get a, a little intrigued by the business side of things. So when you decided you were going to do mm-hmm. this, I mean, was there anybody that's in charge of the no. estate or anything that would no. say, yes, Gerald, you could do this or you can't do that? Or the, uh, the, the uh, you, you, you kind of gave the answer to your own question a little while ago, and you said there are so many productions of A Christmas Carol all over the place. Um, that there, there are no no rights anymore. The law is that 75 years after an author's death, mm-hmm. the work goes into public domain. I see. So anyone can can do a production, can do an adaptation. Mm-hmm. That there's no um, restriction from from an estate or from the family or anything else. So if anybody wanted to do a really bizarre, over-the-top production of A Christmas Carol, they pretty much could if they wanted to. They, could, they certainly could. And I think that would be regulated purely by the audience reaction. Yeah. Because yeah. people love A Christmas Carol. And yeah. you start messing about with it, you start doing crazy things to it, people just aren't going to come and see it. Yeah. Um, so your, your your business model just won't work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because the audience won't won't like it. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a great thing, that it's sure. it self um, regulating, Regulation, really, you right. know, it's 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 incredible. Of all the productions, of all the movies, you know, the stage shows that have been mm-hmm. out there, is there any one that you particularly are fond of? I mean, look, there, you know, I I know that this time of year you can go back to the old black and white versions, the original mm-hmm. versions of A Christmas Carol that I really like the best, mm-hmm. and I'm not even quite sure of the actors that that portrayed the role of Scrooge, but to me, they really. Mm-hmm. You're right. They're, they're the really old ones. Um, are the classic telling of the story. So the 1930s, I think it was Reginald Owen, yeah, which is a spectacularly um, uh, hammy, over-the-top production, but mm. I love it mm-hmm. because it tells the story. Alastair Sim from the 1950s yeah. is, is, is most people's favorite. Yep. Now, he messes about with the end a little bit of the story, but it's a classic telling of the story, and it's beautiful. I love George C. Scott as Scrooge hmm. um, because he played him so powerful, so big, and... When you think of it, Scrooge was running a finance business in the heart of the city of London, which in the 1840s was the biggest economy in the world. It would be like somebody trying to run a bank in, in Wall Street mm-hmm. in New York City now. Right. He must have been a businessman. Yeah. He wouldn't be a pathetic little cowering, weasley little man. He would be a big, powerful businessman who got his own way. So George C. Scott, being George C. Scott, you know, played Scrooge's pattern, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it, it's it's a great, great performance. I, 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 I like him as Scrooge, but I've never seen a production of Christmas Carol that I haven't liked. Really, but because the, the story always is at its heart and, mm-hmm. and always comes through. I remember I watched one in in Missouri once in a theater, Missouri Rep production, and when the Ghost of Christmas Present first made his appearance, he shot up through the floor. Mm. A jet of light, smoke, everything. He must have been catapulted about 20 foot in the air. And when he landed, his fantastic Rastafarian and dreadlocks were flying and everywhere. Landed again. Everyone in the audience was shocked. And then he says a line, which is absolutely from the book, which just had the place in hysterics, which was, you've never seen the like of me before. And I (laughs) dreadlock, Rastafarian, close to Christmas present, flying through the air. It was brilliant. So, you know, it's always, I, I, I love them all. Well, I want to say what a wonderful time it is to finally have you here in the studio talk about this literary masterpiece, A Christmas Carol, uh, and to talk about your great-great-grandfather as well as your uncle that we mentioned uh, earlier in the program. 
And uh, again, if you would like to know more information about um, uh, Gerald's appearance here in the Philadelphia area, go to buyerschoice.com and you can find out more about uh, his appearance at uh, Buyer's Choice up in Chalfont. And you can find his whole touring uh, schedule there uh, online. And uh, what a pleasure it is for me to finally have the chance to uh, to, to meet you and to, and to talk. And I could go on for another hour <laughs> because, uh, you know, again, it's that time of year and everybody is yeah. feeling good about the holidays. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know, maybe the reason I like those early earlier versions of A Christmas Carol is that they were, the production's were so grand but yet so simple. Yes. You know, they were black and white. Yeah. You know, the special effects that we have today didn't exist back then. No CGI. Yeah. And they and they pulled it off. They pulled of it off successfully, yeah. you know, uh, and remarkably and convincingly. And so, uh, you know, maybe I think that's why a lot of people do look for the Alistair Sims mm-hmm, version mm-hmm, of it mm-hmm. because, uh, and, you know, sometimes they mess with the colorization. They try to bring color yeah. into these productions. Ah, leave it alone. Leave it's, it alone. Yeah. It's yeah. a classic. Leave yeah. it alone, just like uh, the original uh, uh, Christmas Carol. So, uh, Gerald, I want to thank you for your time. Um, best wishes to you. Merry Christmas. Happy and New Year. You. And I uh, look forward to perhaps maybe speaking with you again in the future. That would be great. Thank you very much, thank Paul. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Studio 89.7, a monthly program that focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. Please tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. for another edition of Studio 89.7, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.